being said, good morning, church. It is good to see you in the house of the living God on the Lord's Day. And today we are beginning a new sermon series on the season of Epiphany. Epiphany means appearance or manifestation. Uh, it's like the sequel or the, the, or the conclusion of Advent. Advent means coming. It's the Christmas season. Advent represents the coming of the king. God took on flesh, the incarnation, that great mystery of the virgin birth. Epiphany is the flip side to that same coin, so to speak. Uh, Christmas focuses on the incarnation. Epiphany emphasizes the self-revelation of God in Christ. And that sounds fancy, but it means simply this, is that whenever we see or experience Jesus doing stuff in the Gospels, we are seeing and experiencing the fullness of the living God and his saving plan for us. When you see Jesus, as he said, you've seen the Father. When you see Jesus healing people, what does that teach us about God Almighty? Like, why doesn't the gospel story just go from his birth to his death? Why does he have these years of healing ministry and deliverance ministry? Why doesn't he just wait all those years just to get crucified? It's because these years of ministry show us who the living God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we begin this journey of epiphany, God revealing himself through his Christ, his son, with the culmination of Jesus of Nazareth's origin story. I like superhero movies, so in every superhero movie has to have a good origin story. Everybody knows that. And Jesus has his. Born on Christmas, dedicated in the temple on the eighth day, visited by the Magi, survived Herod's infanticide. And the last time we see Jesus before our scripture reading this morning in the gospel is he's 12 years old, and he's in the temple, and he's teaching the rabbis of Israel who the living God is. Fast forward 18 years or so of mundane life as a carpenter to Jesus now leaving his profession, leaving his family, and coming out into the wilderness to be baptized by John, to take on a new commission and a new calling and a new phase of his life. For it is in his baptism, in this baptism in the Jordan by John, when God the Father commissions his son Jesus to be the Christ. And that's our main focus for today is this, is Jesus is commissioned as Christ in his baptism. Jesus is commissioned or appointed as Christ in his baptism. So if you can, and if you are willing, please stand for the reading of the sacred scriptures. Hear now the words of the living and true God. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Pardon. <coughs> you have to mute that a lot. Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. 
I'll be coughing a lot today. An epistle reading, 1 Corinthians from the Apostle Paul. He says to the church, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts Lord, help me. If you hear a lot of clicking, you know what it is. Amen. Ooh, it's the good flavor, too. And lastly, a reading from the Holy Gospel. Matthew 3, the main focus of our preaching today. It's in the days of John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist speaking. He goes, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, which means pay attention. It's emphatic in the Greek. A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Glory be to God for his word. Lonnie, would you pray for us? Amen. We were sick for weeks before, a week before Christmas and a week after, and yesterday I said, tomorrow's going to be great. I feel great today. Now it's all coming undone, but God carries us. So, But our sermon today, uh, our gospel reading picks up in days of John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, and God had sent him into the wilderness to proclaim a message of repentance to the people. He was calling them to forsake their sin, Turn back to God, be baptized, wash away your sins, that type of language. And he's doing this because 
the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Christ is soon going to be revealed to Israel. And this Christ would come with blessing and with judgment. For even all the prophets and John himself say something like this. This Christ is coming and he's either going to pour out the Holy Spirit on you or he's going to baptize you with fire, which is the judgment. And that's the message. Therefore, repent. And people did. They responded. And then something unexpected happens. Jesus shows up to a sinner's baptism, a baptism he does not need. And this startles the prophet. This startles John. Even his, his, um, his claim is like, I need your baptism, and you're coming to me? This doesn't make sense. This Jesus was sinless. He didn't need to confess or repent from any sins. He didn't need any purification. Jesus did not need these things. What was going on was backwards. The greater blessed the lesser. John needed what Jesus had to offer, not the other way around. And John was hesitant. But Jesus assures him, this must be so. Because it's how God was going to first off and foremost fulfill his promises. Our first preaching point. Jesus is commissioned as Christ in his baptism to first off fulfill God's promises. Thinking of our Isaiah text we just read, that's 800 years before the birth of Christ is when the prophet proclaimed what we read today. God had promised that he would have a chosen servant in which he would put his very spirit. And this spirit-filled servant would be different from all other previous messiahs. Because in the Old Testament, there were many messiahs or many Christ. Messiah and Christ, different words, they mean the same thing. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. But they mean the same thing, chosen one, anointed one. And when you read the Old Testament, there are many people called Christ or Messiah, usually speaking of kings, because to be a Christ or Messiah or an anointed one refers to this ceremony where a prophet would come and pour sacred oil on you. And when they would do that, you would take on a new status, a new, you're appointed to a position. Priests, when they would be installed, would have oil poured on their heads, but mainly kings. So consider like King David. Before the prophet came, before Samuel came to David, he was just David of Bethlehem. But after the prophet poured the oil on him, he was now king. His status changed. His authority changed. His power changed. He no longer was the shepherd. He was the shepherd of Israel now. He was the king. Likewise, it would be through baptism by the hands of a prophet that God was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy this morning that we read. Jesus is commissioned as the chosen servant. His anointing happens through his baptism. So our Jesus goes from being Jesus of Nazareth to Jesus the Christ. Remember, Christ is not a last name. It's a position. It's a title. It's an honorific claim at who he is. He is the servant on whom the spirit would come. He goes from carpenter to Christ, if you will. His status changed. His power changed. His authority changed. Because consider this, after this baptism is when Jesus' public ministry begins. It is after this baptism when Jesus is revealed to Israel and all the power that comes on him to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. His public service to demonstrate the kingdom of God happens after this moment. And this Christ Isaiah spoke of would be greater than any king of the old, greater than any Messiah that came before him. For the Christ would have unlimited spirit of God poured upon him. He would have 
as the gospel writers say in Luke, the spirit unlimited, without measure. And this servant, unlike the kings of old, would not pass away into history, but he would bring justice and righteousness to the entire earth. He would reign in victory forever. Amen? And church, if there's anything we can say about it, when you read some of these stories of Jesus, you must understand this at first, is that God keeps his promises. 800 years, and this promise goes back even before Isaiah. Go all the way to the garden. God promised a deliverer all the way back then. And every so often through the history of our people, God will remind us, if you read the Old Testament, the day will come when my chosen one will be here. Isaiah is just one of many we could choose, but it fits well. The servant of God would come and on him would be the spirit. This is our Jesus, greater than any king. And not only is he going to be greater just because he is the chosen servant, he would actually be a savior, which is our second preaching point. Jesus is commissioned as Christ in his baptism, and this fulfills God's promises of old, but it also appoints Jesus as our real savior, the savior we need, the savior God would choose to provide. For Isaiah also said in his prophecy that this Christ would be given as a covenant for the people. Covenant means to be in relationship with God. It's like we talk about our marriage covenants, this idea that we're bonded together. It's not legal terms, it's relational terms. And he says, this Christ, this servant whom the Spirit will be upon, will be the way you have a relationship with the Almighty. To really be with God and be his people. And he said this covenant relationship would be a beacon of light and a beacon of hope to all people of all nations. I mean, we sing that at Christmas, right? Joy to the world. This appointed Christ really would be a beacon of hope. And he would open the blinded eyes of sinful men to their great need of forgiveness. And not only that, he would actually free people, as we read at the end of that Isaiah passage. He says, I'll deliver the prisoners from their darkness, from their dungeon they're in. He would actually free us from the tyranny of the devil and deliver us into his kingdom. True deliverance, true salvation. Fast forward to the life of Jesus, we know this is true. This Jesus for us, this savior provided, that's shown in his baptism, is everything we need. Everything we need is in Christ Jesus for salvation. For this life, and the world to come. And this is why the Apostle Paul would say things in our epistle reading this morning. He'll say things like, Jesus just doesn't give you wisdom. He says, Jesus is your wisdom. Think that distinction. It's like when we say, God just doesn't have love. God is love. That's, that's a great distinction, right? So he's using those types of deity ideas for Jesus here. Jesus just doesn't give us wisdom or show us wise living. He says, Jesus is our wisdom from God. It is through Jesus we learn to love and fear God and think rightly about life. It is in and through Jesus that he is our righteousness, the apostle said, meaning that we are accepted into God's kingdom, become members of his church, adopted as children of God because and in Jesus. Jesus is our sanctification. Fancy term means to make us holy. It is only in and through Jesus that Jesus Christ himself changes you to be like himself. That's the promise of the gospel, that those who trust in Jesus are being remade into the image of God, into the image of Christ. 
your heart, your mind, your body, your everything. For the day will come when Jesus will blow the trumpet and he says he'll transform you to be just like him. That's like the hope of the Christian message. And lastly, he says, this savior, Paul, is our redemption. The barrier between God and man, your sin, your rebellion, and ultimately the death you will die is healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. By his crucifixion and his resurrection. But before we even get there, we are revealed this in his baptism. Because in baptism, this Jesus, who does not need to be baptized, who never sinned, who doesn't need to confess anything, shows us the first plan of salvation, the first step. This Jesus identifies with sinners. A baptism he does not need, that you need, that I need, he takes on himself. And this is what even our Christian baptism still teach to this day. Death to our old sinful life and new life and resurrection in Christ. This is why our Jesus, commissioned in his baptism, identifies with sinners so that you and I could be identified with him. He is our true savior and everything we need from God the Father to be reconciled and have true life with him. And unlike the anointed kings of old, who died and history moved on, this Jesus commissioned as Christ is more than just a righteous man. He's more than a good teacher. He's more than all the silly things Oprah and all them say about him, right? He is not those things. He may do some of those things, but he's more than that. For in his baptism, Jesus is commissioned as Christ to fulfill God's promises of old, to show us and provide a savior for sinners, Baptist baptized for a baptism he doesn't need so you and I can be baptized into him. And lastly, his baptism proves his identity, proves his identity. And that's our last preaching point today. Because this gospel scene not only records the first words of adult Jesus, it's also one of three times God the Father actually speaks in the New Testament. And up, coming out of the waters, the spirit descending like a dove onto this Jesus a voice booms from heaven and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In church, we know the law of Moses tells us that two or three witnesses are necessary to establish a matter as valid. And so here we have the Spirit's visual manifestation. Jesus' baptism is not hidden. It's a public occurrence. Think of all the people that came to Jordan to be baptized by John. They see this. And then John himself says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This Jesus, whom I baptized, who the Spirit fell on, he indeed is the Christ. That's his testimony. And then, if you were there, picture that, the third witness. God himself from heaven speaks. Imagine if you were there. Imagine if you heard God from heaven speak. You see this spirit dove thing fall on this guy. And then the prophets say, This is the one I've been telling you is going to come. Imagine if you were there. And if these things are true, how are we to respond to them? Is this Jesus the Christ? And history, which the Gospels record, say it is so. The question is, how are you going to respond to that? Because this Jesus, as the Father said, is more than just a man. He is the very Son of God. And when we say Son of God, we don't mean 
less than God. We are Trinitarians. We believe in the Trinity. This Jesus, by calling him the Son of God, is no different than saying he's God come as a man. He's God himself. When you look and touch Jesus, it is no different than saying I've touched God himself. When Jesus is on the cross, we can easily say God died on the cross. Jesus is the fullness of the Almighty. That's the Christian message. This Jesus ain't no prophet. He's greater than that. He is God himself. And that's what this witness testifies to. This is the first time the Trinity is revealed. All three witnesses, the Son, the Spirit, and the Father are there. And notice how God does not say to Jesus, you've now become my son. He doesn't say stuff like that. He says, you are my son. Jesus has always been and always will be the second member of the Trinity, the eternal son of God for now and forever. Amen. And what kind of hope this should give us? This story is not just also a testimony to the reality. It gives us hope because like I said, before this moment, Jesus was not acting publicly. He wasn't delivering people. He wasn't doing any of that stuff, but now he is. And this should remind us that in this moment, when Jesus is commissioned as the Christ, that God himself is giving us the savior of the world, is that God himself took responsibility to save us. That God himself is not saying, I'm going to send another to be your Christ. I'm not just going to send you an angel. I'm not going to send you a nice good king. I'm not even going to send you a prophet to save you. I am coming myself. I myself will save you. He does not leave the salvation of mankind to anyone else other than himself. And that's what we see in this baptism, that Jesus' identity being revealed. We see God himself testifying to the world saying, I will personally take responsibility to fulfill the plan of salvation so you, whomever you are, in whatever age you are, wherever you hear this, you can be saved. God does not leave it to anyone else. He doesn't leave this important plan of salvation to fallible created beings. And so church, when you think about this commission of Christ, this moment when God anoints him with the spirit and says, this is my son, anoints him as literally the Christ, does that speak salvation to you? Do you understand what's happening in this story? It's, it's groundbreaking, it's monumental. God himself shows us he has come to save and after this point in every gospel story, he does. And so as we consider these stories, let's, let's look at some points of application today. Jesus is commissioned as Christ in his baptism. And this is to fulfill God's promises. God, when he speaks, he cannot lie. No matter how much time or human interference, the living God can fulfill his plans. Amen. No one can thwart him, it says. No one can. No one. So he's fulfilling his promises. He sends us a spirit-filled savior and turns out that this spirit-filled savior, this Christ, wouldn't just be another king of old like David and all those guys that died. It's actually going to be God himself. Therefore, the first thing that came to me this week when I read this story is first off and foremost, do not be deceived. There is only now the Christ. There are no other Christ. There is no other Christ after this. There's just Jesus. Because think about this. Do you ever wonder why people fall into cults or why they follow people claiming to be Jesus? For those of you who have been around long enough, think of the Branch Davidians. You know, think of David Koresh. He told people he was Jesus. He told people he was the Christ, and he's not the first to do that. What sane Bible reader would say, you're right, David Koresh. You're the Christ. Like, that makes no sense. 
It makes no sense. And 2,000 years ago, church, Jesus told us near the close of his public ministry, during the Passion Week, he tells us, Matthew 24, all that Olivet Discourse, near the end of his ministry, before he's arrested, he tells us, many false Christs will come. Many false Christs will raise up. And that's to the apostles. And he tells them, Matthew 24, he warns them. Very plainly, he says, if anyone says to you, look, here's Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even God's elect, his chosen people. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, as simple as this may seem, we have to warn people, because people do get deceived, that there are no other Christ than Jesus. There are none. And even if we live long enough to see the fullness of the Antichrist, whatever that's going to be like, whatever this, I do believe it's going to be this figure who will do signs and wonders. Even if they perform supernatural feats, the gospel tells us, do not believe it. It's already been written. So how can people fall astray so easy? And it turns out, if you interview most cult members, guess where most of them come from? Churches. Which is the great irony in it. So this baptism of Christ is not just a nicety in Christian history. It is God certifying that this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, is the chosen one, and there are no others. Therefore, if anyone comes to you, whether it's David Koresh or anyone in the future, to the Antichrist himself, don't believe it. God the Father will never, ever, ever again, in all of human history, speak from heaven to any other human agent and say, this is my son. Amen? That will never happen again. And the spirit being poured out without measure will never happen to another person other than Jesus. If you can't settle your hearts on that, if you can't settle on Jesus' origin story, then there will always be another Christ you're looking for. And to this day, Orthodox and Hasidic Jews usually, they're, they're looking for a Christ still. They say we are deceived as Christians. We are fools. Wisdom will testify otherwise. History bears out different. Jesus is the Christ. Second point to consider. Develop an understanding of the Trinity. Develop an understanding of the Trinity. Because as we said, at the baptism of Christ, it not only reveals the identity of Jesus, that he's God come as a man, we see the Trinity, as we said. We see the Spirit. We see the Son. We see the Father. And the rest of the New Testament is founded on this revelation that the Godhead has been made known. The rest of the New Testament, because whenever you talk about Christ, Paul will talk about God. Whenever Paul talks about God, he has to talk about Christ. When they talk about the Spirit, they talk about God. When they talk about the Father, it's assumed. The rest of the New Testament hinges on the triune reality of God. Consider even our baptism. 
we don't just baptize into the death and resurrection of Jesus. We literally baptize in the name of or in relationship to, put you under in right relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We literally baptize into the entire Godhead because the entire Godhead is necessary for salvation. And so if you think about that, the Trinity is what separates Christians from Jews and Muslims. Like that's one of the, like the mountain peak of difference is what separates Christians from everybody else is we believe in the Trinity. It separates us from Jews, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormons. That's what makes us at the heart of Christianity is we believe that God exists as one, per, one God existing as three eternal persons. Otherwise, think about this. We worship Jesus, correct? If Jesus ain't God, we are committing idolatry in the highest form. So you should be really confident, Christian, when you come up and break that bread and drink that cup that this Jesus is the living God and that God the Father sent him and the spirit that lives in you really is God Almighty changing you. Because if not, what are we actually saying? It's just idolatry at that point. So understand the Trinity. As much as it, as hard as it is to understand, there's no analogy. I was talking with Pastor Dill. Like we say like Trinity is like water or like an egg and we give all these analogies and stuff and they always fall short. Strive to read good books on the Trinity. It is the thing, the core doctrine that makes us Christian. So strive to have an understanding of the Trinity and ask yourself, does your prayer life reflect the Trinity? Does our worship here at our church reflect worship of the Trinity? Those are good questions to ask yourself. Do you recognize the deity of Christ, the deity of the Spirit, the deity of the Father, and do they work in harmony? Develop and understand the Trinity because to do so is to develop and understand the God who saves you. God wants you to know who he is and what he's like, and God exists as the Trinity. He always has. He always will, forever and ever. Amen? And lastly, practice Christ-centered living. Uh, I was thinking of the words of the Apostle Paul from our epistle this morning. It says, like, Christ is our everything. But I want to take that to a different place with a different scripture reading, and we'll close on this. It's from Romans 6. It's a different way of saying that Jesus is our everything. It's a baptism verse. Romans 6. Uh, Paul says something like this. He goes, how can we who die to sin still live in it? Like, how can you remain in your, your, your faithlessness to God if you're Christian? He goes, do you not know, which is assuming you do know, that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when you think about the baptism of Jesus, he's being baptized for sinners who don't, because he doesn't need it, so that you and I, when we're baptized, we're actually baptized into him. Since you're believing upon Jesus, since your baptism and all your walk with Christ, do you actually see the transformation of Jesus in your life? Are you closer to God today than you were when you got baptized and when you believed in you know, those, those series of events? Are you closer in Christ-likeness? If you had to rate yourself without beating yourself up, our goal is not to beat ourselves up. Our goal is to expose what needs healing. How have you changed since your confession of the Christ, since being baptized into his name? And those are good questions to ask. And if not, if you're not walking in newness of life, like Paul says, if you're still living in old sin, how come? 
Where are you at right now? Is your life being conformed to look like Jesus? And that's what baptism should remind us of. I've died to my old life. And now I've been raised just as Christ was raised. And a day will come when I'll experience the fullness of the resurrection. How is your discipleship look? Are you where you want to be? Are you conforming to Christ? And so as we come to a close, those are areas of the altar I want to invite you to pray about. Are you, since the day you believed upon Jesus, confessed him, was baptized, all that stuff, that conversion process, that moment, where are you at? And for those of you who do not believe this morning, you've never confessed Jesus as Christ, you've never bowed the knee to him, you've never been baptized into Christ, you haven't gone through that, I mean, I gotta ask you, what do you think it means to be dead in your sins? What's gonna happen to you? Christ wants to bring you life and he's offering that to you. And that's why he says he dies on the cross and was raised from the dead so you can have life. And if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't come to that point of recognizing how weak and small you are and how much you actually need this Jesus, man, I ask that the Lord would give you a, a heart to believe today, ears to hear, so that you too can confess the Christ and live and be raised to newness of life. And maybe you wanna come down and pray about that. There'll be elders up here, maybe in your seat, whatever, but this is your time. Will you embrace Christ? He was baptized for you so you could be baptized into him. Have real relationship with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we ask that you would send your spirit even now. Search the hearts and minds of men. You know what needs to be done. You know what we need to hear and respond well this morning. But I pray that above all things, you would fix our eyes upon your son, the Christ. Jesus is your promised servant, the true savior, because he is God himself. And even his name Jesus means the Lord saves. I pray Lord that you would save people this morning and continue to save your church. Deliver us from evil, Lord. Help us love you more today than we did yesterday and help us love one another more today than we did yesterday. Help us practice understanding that no matter where we are or what we're doing, we are to walk in newness of life. In Jesus' name we pray.